Working remotely, where you are shouldn't dictate what you do. Work from the road by turning your vehicle into a reliable high-speed data Wi-Fi hotspot with AT&T in-car Wi-Fi. On the network that covers more roads than any other carrier, take your work on the road and AT&T will be there to keep you connected. Connect up to 10 devices and stream conference calls, finish up that presentation, or answer last-minute emails. Why wait? Go to att.com slash in-car Wi-Fi today for free trial eligibility. Based on independent third-party data, number of devices varies by manufacturer. Always pay careful attention to the road and don't drive distracted. Wi-Fi hotspot intended for passenger use only when vehicle is in operation. Compatible device and vehicle required. Experts claim there is nothing tougher than a diamond. But at Diamonds Direct, we beg to differ. Have you ever met a mother? Strong, radiant, timeless. This Mother's Day, give her the gift that meets her match. With diamond jewelry starting at $200, plus Diamonds Direct's exceptional quality and unbeatable everyday price, you're sure to give her a gift that wows this generation and the next to come. Experience the thrill of jewelry shopping done right at Diamonds Direct. Diamonds Direct. Your love, our passion. From BBC Radio 4, Britain's biggest paranormal podcast is going on a road trip. I thought... In that moment, oh my God, we've summoned something from this board. This is Uncanny USA. He says, somebody's in the house, and I screamed. Listen to Uncanny USA wherever you get your BBC podcasts. If you dare. When you think about the future, what kind of technology do you envision? Whatever the future holds, artificial intelligence will undoubtedly be at the heart of it all. Join Graham Class as he hosts Season 2 of Technically Speaking, an Intel podcast, and hear from the minds transforming healthcare, retail, entertainment, personal computing, and more with the help of AI. Tune in every other Tuesday and explore the latest technology that's changing our world today and creating a more accessible tomorrow. Listen to Technically Speaking, an Intel podcast on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Welcome to Tech Stuff, a production from iHeartRadio. Hey there, and welcome to Tech Stuff. I'm your host, Jonathan Strickland. I'm an executive producer with iHeartRadio, and how the tech are you? It's time for the tech news for Tuesday, August 8th, 2023. Uh, and despite my voice catching there, I feel a lot better than I did yesterday. Thanks for asking. Let's get to the tech news. And we've got a lot of AI related stories today. No big surprise there. It has been the topic of 2023, at least whenever Elon Musk isn't demanding all the headlines. And it's also sadly no surprise that one of the AI stories we're covering today has to do with faulty facial recognition technology and the mistake of relying on that tech for the purposes of law enforcement. Portia Woodruff, a black woman in Detroit, found herself arrested and detained for 11 hours when police acted on an incorrect facial recognition match while seeking a suspect in a carjacking and robbery crime. Not only that, Portia is eight months pregnant, and the surveillance footage from the crime in question showed a woman who very much was not 
eight months pregnant. So not only was this a case of facial recognition software giving a false positive, it's also a case of cops apparently working under the assumption that a woman can go from not visibly pregnant to eight months pregnant in a very short amount of time, which is wild. So here's kind of what unfolded. Uh, a man reported being the victim of a robbery and carjacking. The police were able to secure surveillance footage and they used a tool called DataWorks Plus to run matches against mugshots that were stored in a police database. Woodruff had been arrested back in 2015, so her mugshot was one of the images in that database. This tool pulled a match between her mugshot and the surveillance footage, and the guy who was robbed also mistook a photo of Woodruff, her mugshot, as that as the same person as the perpetrator. So the police go and they arrest Woodruff. And of course she was not involved in the crime, could not have been. And just the fact that she was, you know, eight months pregnant should have been the immediate giveaway that this is not the same person. The New York Times subsequently reported that Woodruff's case was the third in the city of Detroit alone that resulted in a wrongful arrest due to incorrect facial recognition matches. And that all three of those cases, as well as three other cases that were not in Detroit, all involved black people. I think it's safe to say that even the faulty facial recognition technology is able to see a pattern emerging here, and it's one of racial bias in surveillance and identification tools. Now, as we have covered on this podcast, several cities and jurisdictions have banned the use of facial recognition for law enforcement purposes. Personally, I think that is merited. I can't help but imagine what being wrongfully arrested must be like. It's got to be incredibly traumatic and disruptive and potentially cause lots of issues in your life. And you at no point were at fault for any of it. And if a technology is disproportionately leading to that kind of thing, we should not be using that technology for those purposes. Uh, I don't I don't know how there's any argument against that. If the tool is leading to innocent people getting arrested and their lives getting upended in the process, you got to stop using the tool. British researchers showed how a deep learning algorithm once trained would be able to decode keystrokes just from the sound of typing. This isn't totally new. I've heard of these kinds of attacks before, but imagine for a moment that you are set up in some public space and someone else happens to have their phone out. And, uh, you know, you don't know this, but what they're actually doing is activating the phone's microphone and they're picking up on the sound of you tippity tappity typing away and you're oblivious to any threats. So like maybe you're, you're like being careful with your screen or whatever, but you're not thinking about the actual keystrokes. And meanwhile, a computer program on the other end of that microphone is effectively transcribing everything you've typed, potentially including your login information. This is an acoustic attack. And I bet that makes all those mechanical keyboard clacky clacky types out there a little nervous. So is it possible that some hacker out there could get your login credentials just by having a computer listen to you type? Technically, yes, it is possible. It is not necessarily straightforward or easy to do. It is possible. So if you're at a location, then 
you need to know that is a, a possibility, but like a lot of locations have a lot of other noise. It's hard to set up a microphone in such a way that you're going to get a very clear recording of that sound. Maybe if you're at a coffee shop, you should just start making clacky clacky noises with your mouth at the same time as you type, you know, to throw off any potential baddies who are trying to listen in on you. I don't know. It's a wild world out there. Reuters reports that the Walt Disney Company has created a task force to research how artificial intelligence could be used within that company, which, of course, encompasses lots of different divisions. You've got the entertainment division, you've got theme parks, you've got merchandising, you've got advertising. There's tons of businesses underneath the umbrella of Walt Disney. Well, the company currently has nearly a dozen job openings that mention artificial intelligence research and development. So this does look like it's a big push and could include things like Imagineering. Uh, but it also ranges to other stuff, you know, theme parks to advertising to also Disney television. And that last one is pretty notable because many of the contentious elements that are at the center of the ongoing strikes in Hollywood, which if you weren't aware, involves both writers and actors. They're both on strike in Hollywood right now. Well, one of the things they're striking about is all about how studios should or should not use artificial intelligence moving forward. Reuters cites some unnamed folks connected to Disney, you know, people who didn't want to have this get back to them. But they said that the company really has little choice here, that if it doesn't incorporate AI into its strategy, it runs the risk of becoming obsolete. Maybe that's true, but my knee-jerk reaction kind of is triggered because back in 2004, Disney famously shut down its 2D animation studios. And it was unthinkable for a company that had built its you know, reputation on traditional 2D animation to suddenly turn its back on it. It has subsequently changed that, but for a while it looked like 2D animation and Disney were just things of the past. And it just seemed like there was this attitude among Disney executive leadership that computer animation was somehow not just different from traditional hand-drawn 2D animation, but innately better than 2D animated films. Like, like audiences didn't want to see 2D animation. They just wanted computer animation. And for proof of that, you would look at Pixar. Here's the problem. Pixar was investing heavily in developing great stories to tell. And yes, the computer animation was getting more and more impressive with every single film, but they were really putting story first, whereas the animated side over at Disney had fallen a long way since the early days of the so-called Disney Renaissance, which included movies like The Little Mermaid and Beauty and the Beast and Aladdin. You know, if you look at 1995, for example, uh, I would say I don't think Toy Story, which came out in 1995, was a better movie than Pocahontas, which also came out in 95, just because Toy Story was computer animated and Pocahontas was hand drawn. I think Toy Story was a better movie because the script was better. But, you know, Pocahontas also had to follow up on the amazing work of Ashman and Mencken, and Ashman had passed away in 1991. So there are a lot of other mitigating factors there. Anyway, Disney hasn't really commented on how it plans to incorporate AI into its processes. It's planning on doing it, but it hasn't talked about what that might look like. So, you know, you could have AI incorporated into very mundane stuff, right? Like automating things like scheduling and finding the most 
efficient means to do that, which isn't necessarily impacting the creative side of the business that much, right? If you're using it to handle stuff that is otherwise tedious and takes up a lot of time, but is easy enough to automate, that's not necessarily a bad thing. That can end up making a company more efficient without also displacing employees in the process, or at least freeing those employees up to do more rewarding work instead of something that's really tedious. The concern is whether or not that use of AI could end up replacing very important and creative roles for people, whether it's actors or writers or Imagineers or whomever. So, yeah, big concern in AI with Disney. Yesterday, Zoom made a change to its terms of service after receiving some pretty harsh criticism from customers over the weekend. So around Sunday, people who were paying attention to Zoom terms of service started to post screenshots of those terms, and they included a passage saying the company has the right to collect, store, and use, quote-unquote, service-generated data. Now that alone seems a bit concerning, right? Let's say your company uses Zoom for business meetings. You probably don't like the idea of Zoom potentially snooping in on your calls. On top of that, the term said that Zoom could use that data essentially to train AI, and that really got people upset. The thought that their video calls could be used as material to train another AI model seemed invasive. Now, a Zoom rep explained that the collection features are part of an opt-in system. Users can choose to enable generative AI features such as transcription services, and the company does not use any customer content without first gaining the consent from the customer. To that end, now Zoom has updated its terms of use to clearly say it will only collect audio and video data with consent from the user first. In related news, Zoom leadership has also called on Zoom employees who live within 50 miles of a Zoom office to actually attend work in person at least two days a week. So that's right. The company that made the tool touted as one of the most important during lockdown, the one that enabled remote work, is now restricting remote work at the corporate level at Zoom, which is you know, how the tables have turned, I guess. Okay, we're going to take a quick break. When we come back, we've got some more tech news. Working remotely, where you are shouldn't dictate what you do. Work from the road by turning your vehicle into a reliable high-speed data Wi-Fi hotspot with AT&T in-car Wi-Fi. On the network that covers more roads than any other carrier, take your work on the road and AT&T will be there to keep you connected. Connect up to 10 devices and stream conference calls, finish up that presentation, or answer last-minute emails. Why wait? Go to att.com slash in-car Wi-Fi today for free trial eligibility. Based on independent third-party data, number of devices varies by manufacturer. Always pay careful attention to the road and don't drive distracted. Wi-Fi hotspot intended for passenger use only when vehicle is in operation. Compatible device and vehicle required. From BBC Radio 4, Britain's biggest paranormal podcast is going on a road trip. I thought in that moment, oh my God, we've summoned something from this board. This is Uncanny USA. 
he says, somebody's in the house. And I screamed. Listen to Uncanny USA wherever you get your BBC podcasts. If you dare. Are you looking for the perfect move-in ready home this spring season? Now's the time to buy at Fisher Homes. For a limited time only, enjoy below market interest rates starting at 5.375% APR, 6.139% APR. With these exclusive lower rates, you can save hundreds on a move-in ready home and start enjoying the benefits of home ownership even faster. Schedule your personal tour with one of our new home specialists at fisherhomes.com and make this spring the season you find your perfect home sweet home. Financing provided by Victory Mortgage, LLC, NMLS 461249, Equal Housing Lender. Hey, this is Jody Sweeten from the podcast How Rude, Tanneritos. As a nostalgic voice from your past, I'm here to remind you that amongst the stressful and chaotic existence we live in 2024, you deserve to get away. It's time for a vacation, no matter when you're hearing this. And let me tell you how you'll get there. The 2024 Hyundai Santa Fe. Want to bring the family to the mountains with the Santa Fe's available H-Track all-wheel drive? Well, it's got standard third-row seating and available dual-wireless charging pads for the kids who just want to stare at their phone and not talk to you. You know what I mean. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. We're back, and uh, I actually have a couple of other AI stories to finish up with uh, before we move on to other tech news. So we're not done with the AI just yet. AP News reports that the folks over at Dungeons and Dragons, you know, Wizards of the Coast, which in turn is part of Hasbro, are now telling their artists not to use artificial intelligence as part of the generative process to create fantasy art. So they're telling their artists, hey, don't use AI when you're making art for us. Uh, this comes after several D&D fans raised questions about an illustration that included a giant that they said looked a little weird, like perhaps it had not been made by a human being. And they asked, hey, was this made by a robot? So D&D reached out and contacted the artist, talked with them, found out that, yes, there was some use of AI generative features to collaborate and make this art. And the company now is clarifying rules on what can and cannot be used to make fantasy art for the games. Uh, the particular piece that triggered you know, folks to ask, is this AI generated, is actually going to be appearing soon in an expansion book called Big B Presents Glory of the Giants. I think it comes out next week, in fact. So maybe collectors will rush out and grab a copy in case future editions will remove the AI generated giant person. But you might ask, why is D&D? Why is Wizards of the Coast and perhaps by extension Hasbro saying don't use AI to generate fantasy art? Why is that a big deal? Well, part of it is about copyright questions like who owns the copyright to a machine generated piece of work? Obviously, Wizards of the Coast want to be able to copyright their their stuff and not have some other party claim ownership of something that's featured in a Wizards of the Coast work. But also there's a, a the issue of, you know, copying another person's style, right? If artist A produces a ton of fantasy art and then artist B uses a generative tool that coincidentally is referencing artist A work and and it's doing so extensively and then creates a new piece in the style of artist A 
Well, then it's almost like artist B is copying artist A. And you could argue, well, then that means artist A could have landed this gig and gotten a paying gig out of it. But instead, their work was then, you know, sort of repurposed and reimagined without their consent. This is an ongoing issue with generative AI in the visual arts realm. There's also a very similar, in fact, the same problem that's going on within the written word, right? There are, there are authors and poets who are arguing that AI models being trained on published works are effectively copying these folks uh, without their consent. So if you'll excuse me, I need to roll to see if my AI generated image of an elf will deceive wizards of the coast and. Oh, critical fail. Okay. Well, um, I guess the fingers are all noodly and there's like 15 of them. So I guess that's a, a, a dead giveaway. Okay. You know, a lot of folks have voiced concerns about AI and the possible dangers that it could bring and we can now count the Pope uh, as one of those voices. Pope Francis has called on a global reflection today that is all about how AI could be really dangerous. Pope Francis has said in the past he is largely unfamiliar with modern technology, including stuff like computers and the Internet, but that he also sees that these tools can be incredibly helpful when they are put to appropriate use, which, you know, is a refreshing take from someone who is unfamiliar with technology that they recognize tools aren't necessarily good or bad in of themselves. It's really all in how we make use of those tools. And if we commit to using them in ways that aren't harmful, we can see great benefit. But some of these tools like AI, for example, have the potential to be very dangerous if we are using them improperly or if we don't have a full understanding of the consequences before we use them. So we have to take extra care when we're working with them. It's not that AI is not worthwhile or could, you know, never do anything positive. That's clearly not the case. We just have to be very, very methodical in our approach to using AI. And right now you could argue that is not what we're seeing. Apple has reportedly struck a huge deal with chip manufacturer TSMC out of Taiwan that will see Apple purchase essentially all of TSMC's chips made with their next generation manufacturing process, which is called the three nanometer manufacturing process. Just as a reminder, once upon a time when we would use things like nanometer to describe the chip manufacturing process that actually referenced the size of individual components found on the chips that you would actually see stuff on the chips that measured at that, that unit. But these days it's really just a naming convention. It's really just to designate the generation of the chip manufacturing process. The individual elements on the chips are not three nanometers in size. That would end up being a big disaster because of the way quantum physics works. So, yeah, just a reminder that the whole nanometer thing, uh, it's just a naming convention now. It doesn't actually reference anything other than this is the newest one and it has to keep getting smaller. <laughs> so it does raise questions of do we go down to the atomic scale once we <laughs> once we get past one nanometer? Anyway, according to the information, Apple has essentially ordered Every single TSMC three nanometer chip, at least in the short term. And by short term, 
I mean, Apple will have exclusive use of chips made by that manufacturing process from TSMC for about a year. And that definitely gives Apple a leg up on the competition that wants to use TSMC's chips. There are other fabricators out there, so TSMC is not the only game in town. It's just the biggest one. Meanwhile, there is a political battle surrounding TSMC's planned fabrication facility that would be here in the United States, in Arizona. So the Taiwan-based company plans this fabrication plant in Arizona, but just last month announced that there was going to be a construction delay that would last until 2025. The reason being, according to the company, is that there are a lack of skilled workers here in the U.S. who would be needed to prepare and open the facility, not to work once it is open, but to actually get everything in place. Says, well, they're just the talent isn't here. And instead, TSMC wants to bring around 500 employees from Taiwan to the United States to do that work instead. That has led to U.S. politicians weighing in, and they have argued that these jobs should go to U.S. workers. Now, there's a lot going on here, and it gets very messy, and it gets very political. But from a high level, the U.S. decades ago ceded, as in got rid of, pretty much all major chip fabrication because it's expensive. It is very expensive to build chip fabrication plants. You have to update them constantly because, as we were just talking about, you're always uh, evolving the technology to make more powerful chips, which means you got to retool everything. Sometimes you have to build totally new facilities. And that's a huge investment. And a lot of U.S. companies got out of that game ages ago. And instead, that work went to places like Taiwan and TSMC in particular. So because America got rid of, didn't totally get rid of chip fabrication, but largely pushed that out to other places in the world, you might say that TSMC could at least have a partly legit point to make that the U.S. lacks the experts needed to open a an advanced fabrication facility simply because the U.S. hasn't really been focused on that part of chip manufacturing for a while. Yes, in the U.S., you have a lot of people developing the next chips, designing the next generation of chips. But the actual fabrication is taking place elsewhere. So while the expertise is definitely in design, the argument is it's not in creating the fabrication facilities. And that's where the problem is. On the flip side, there's a concern that the reason TSMC really wants to bring in Taiwanese workers to the U.S. is not just because they have expertise in the area, but also because they're less likely to resist a push to work really long hours, including like working weekends and stuff. Whereas U.S. workers have this pesky habit of arguing that they need to be, you know, fairly compensated and have work-life balance. So in other words, there's a concern that TSMC is really looking to exploit a workforce in an effort to keep costs down and to speed up building out the facilities. As for what happens once the facility opens, TSMC says it's committed to providing around 12,000 jobs and that U.S. employees will fill those roles so that like the actual jobs of working at the facility will go to U.S. citizens, not, you know, it won't be Taiwanese uh, workers brought over to do that particular work. 
So, yeah, like I said, it is political. Uh, there is a technical side to it, too, but it's messy. And this is why you can't just leave politics out of discussions of technology, because politics affects us and it affects the tech sector a lot. <laughs> in fact, you know, we can often see it most acutely in the tech sector, not that it's not impacting other sectors as well. It's just when it hits tech, uh, people take notice because it's it's high profile stuff. So we can't really avoid it here. Uh, I don't know what the actual story is back here. I mean, it may very well be that TSMC could not find the talent they needed in order to prepare the fabrication facility properly here in the U.S. Maybe that's true. Uh, or maybe it's not. I just don't know. But um, I do know that it is an ongoing issue right now. So we'll have to see how that plays out in the short term. Okay, I got a few more stories to cover. But before I can get to that, let's take another quick break. Working remotely, where you are shouldn't dictate what you do. Work from the road by turning your vehicle into a reliable high-speed data Wi-Fi hotspot with AT&T in-car Wi-Fi. On the network that covers more roads than any other carrier, take your work on the road and AT&T will be there to keep you connected. Connect up to 10 devices and stream conference calls, finish up that presentation, or answer last-minute emails. Why wait? Go to att.com slash in-car Wi-Fi today for free trial eligibility. Based on independent third-party data, number of devices varies by manufacturer. Always pay careful attention to the road and don't drive distracted. Wi-Fi hotspot intended for passenger use only when vehicle is in operation. Compatible device and vehicle required. From BBC Radio 4, Britain's biggest paranormal podcast is going on a road trip. I thought in that moment, oh my God, we've summoned something from this board. This is uncanny usa he says somebody's in the house and i screamed listen to uncanny usa wherever you get your bbc podcasts if you dare are you looking for the perfect move-in ready home this spring season now's the time to buy at fisher homes for a limited time only enjoy below market interest rates starting at 5.375 percent apr 6.139 percent apr with these exclusive lower rates you can save hundreds on a move-in ready home and start enjoying the benefits of home ownership even faster schedule your personal tour with one of our new home specialists at fisherhomes.com and make this spring the season you find your perfect home sweet home financing provided by victory mortgage llc nmls 461249 equal housing lender Hey, this is Jody Sweeten from the podcast How Rude, Tanneritos. As a nostalgic voice from your past, I'm here to remind you that amongst the stressful and chaotic existence we live in 2024, you deserve to get away. It's time for a vacation, no matter when you're hearing this. And let me tell you how you'll get there. The 2024 Hyundai Santa Fe. Want to bring the family to the mountains with the Santa Fe's available H-Track all-wheel drive? Well, it's got standard third-row seating and available dual-wireless charging pads for the kids who just want to stare at their phone and not talk to you. You know what I mean. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. We're back. Ars Technica has an article about how scientists at the Lawrence Livermore National Lab in California have, for the second time now, 
produced a fusion reaction that generated more energy than was needed to initiate the reaction. We're going to put an asterisk on that because we're going to come back to it. Now, I have talked about fusion a lot on this show, but just as a quick reminder, fusion occurs when you take two lightweight atoms, like hydrogen atoms, for example, and then you blast those atoms with enough pressure and or you know energy, like heat, uh, in order to fuse them into a new atom, helium in this case. This is what happens in the sun. You know, hydrogen is forged into helium at a temperature of millions of degrees as uh, how does or why does the sunshine would tell us. Anyway, in this process, you also end up with a release of energy, right? That's why the sun actually does shine. It's releasing energy. It's not just doing this process. So if you end up with more energy than you used to start the reaction, you've got a potentially viable alternative to other kinds of power facilities, you know, like coal power plants or even things like solar and wind farms or traditional nuclear power plants, which rely on nuclear fission. That's the process of splitting heavy atoms into lighter atoms. And that also releases a huge amount of energy in the process. But that that also creates things like nuclear waste, which you have to figure out how do you process that or deal with it or store it. It comes with a lot of, again, political issues that make that technology difficult to uh, pursue. Here in Georgia, we actually had a nuclear power plant come online for the first time in decades. And it was supposed to have been built like 15 years ago, I think at this point, somewhere around there. But there were so many different delays. And then the, the, uh, the cost of building out the facility exploded as a result of that. So even though the technology is proven, there are a lot of drawbacks to nuclear fission. So nuclear fusion could be a way to have an alternative that doesn't have the same like like issues that nuclear fission has. But it's hard to do. <laughs> so researchers have managed to create a few fusion reactions over the years, uh, including some uncontrolled ones in the testing of the fusion bomb. But. Typically, when you were trying to make a fusion reactor for the purposes of power generation, the result was that you were getting an energy output that was less than the amount of energy you were using to initiate the reaction, meaning you're operating at a net loss, right? You're using more energy to start a reaction than you're getting out of the reaction. That is not a viable way to generate power. It, you, you lose energy in the process. This most recent experiment generated 3.15 megajoules of energy and the laser that was or lasers that were used to initiate this reaction were blasting a 2.05 megajoules amount of energy at the fuel. So 2.05 energy is hitting the fuel. The reaction generates 3.15 megajoules of energy. That means you're getting about one and a half times more energy out than you're putting in with the laser. Now, let's go back to that asterisk I said about, you know, creating more energy or not creating, but releasing more energy than you're pouring into it. Now, the lasers did emit 2.05 megajoules of energy. However, the draw from the power grid to create those lasers was much, much, much larger. So... When you step back and you say, all right, well, how much energy did it take for me to make a laser that could emit 2.05 megajoules of energy? 
that's where you start to see that you're having to use a lot more power to get that 3.15 megajoules out of the reaction. So that means ultimately it's a net loss when you look at it from a big picture standpoint. According to Ars Technica, scientists think we're going to have to hit energy generation that's around 30 to 100 times more than what the lasers are blasting out in order for fusion to be a viable power source. That is a huge leap from one and a half times, which is what we saw in this most recent experiment. You know, we have to get up to 30 to 100 times in order to reach efficiencies where we're able to get more energy out than we put in. Plus, we have to make it something that can be repeatable rapidly. Right now, you're talking about months between experiments at this laboratory. A power plant is going to need to do this many times a second in order to continuously generate energy for the purposes or release energy. I keep saying generate, you know, energy can be neither created nor destroyed. It's really just released or, or converted from one form to another. Anyway, you would have to make that sustainable in order to do things like create electricity for people. Otherwise you would just have these spikes and they wouldn't be useful for anything. Yeah. You, you could say like, wow, we generated a ton of energy there. We released a, a huge amount of energy, but unless you can make that something that can consistently provide electricity, it's not really that useful. However, if we are able to crack that code, we would have an incredible future ahead of us. So let's hope for it. And let's also hope that it's not a perpetual 20 to 30 years situation. You know, that's where scientists say we're 20 to 30 years out from a technology maturing, but then we never get there. Like 10 years later, we're still 20 to 30 years out. Let's hope it's not one of those cases. A while back, I talked about how Boeing has had to delay testing its Starliner crew vehicle with actual, you know, human astronauts after discovering some issues with the capsule's design. So the purpose of the Starliner capsule, it's a, it's a spacecraft, but it looks a lot like, you know, like the old Apollo capsules. The purpose of the Starliner is to serve as a vehicle that will take astronauts to and from stuff like the International Space Station. Then you would have like the Orion capsule, which is larger. This is the one NASA plans to use for future moon missions. However, last month, Boeing had to scrap test plans for the Starliner after a review showed that the capsule's quote-unquote soft links in its parachute system failed to measure up to NASA's safety requirements. So they had to go back to the design board and fix that and to replace those soft links, which they now have said they've done. Plus, Boeing had used some tape in the Starliner's wiring systems that have been flagged as a potential fire hazard that under certain conditions they they can become flammable. So Boeing has subsequently, uh, you know, started to remove all that tape and replace it with other stuff. There are a few areas where Boeing says that's not feasible to be able to, to actually remove the tape because doing so would damage the vehicle in the process. So instead, they're coating the tape with material that will be fire resistant so that, uh, you know, it still won't end up causing a potential disastrous fire inside the capsule. Now, all of this means that we're looking at 2024 at the earliest for a test of the Starliner with a crew aboard. That is disappointing news for Boeing and as well as for NASA. But NASA can continue to depend heavily on SpaceX's Dragon 2 vehicle in the meantime. In more optimistic space-related news, NASA and the Department of Defense performed a recovery test for the Orion crew module. So the Orion, 
like the Apollo spacecraft of decades ago, is meant to splash down in the ocean, specifically the Pacific Ocean, upon returning to Earth. Once it splashes down, a retrieval team will then maneuver to you know, a few thousand yards of the spacecraft and then send uh, retrieval teams to help the four astronauts exit the vehicle safely. So this particular test is part of the Artemis 2 mission. Artemis 2 will send astronauts around the backside of the moon for the first time in many, many decades. Artemis 3 is the one where astronauts will actually set boots on the moon for the first time in ages. So the goal is to retrieve the crew safely in less than two hours after the capsule has splashed down in the ocean. The process involves Navy divers who first go and check the capsule to make sure that it's safe to deploy the raft that's around the capsule and for the crew to emerge from the capsule. The raft is called the front porch, and it serves as a platform for the crew to step out on once they leave the the capsule. And from that point, a different retrieval crew will actually fly out to the splash site and airlift the Orion crew and then transport them back to a recovery ship. Once the crew is safely aboard the recovery ship, then engineering teams will connect the Orion capsule to the ship so it can be towed back to land. So the test was successful, which is a good step toward Artemis 2. I got a couple of article recommendations for you before I sign off. One is in The Verge. The article is titled, Why Thread is Matter's Biggest Problem Right Now? And Jennifer Patterson Tui wrote the piece. This deals with the technologies that serve as the foundation for home automation tech and explains how some high-level decisions are making things perhaps a little more complicated instead of simplifying them, which is what matter was really supposed to do. I'll have to do a full episode about this in the future, but meanwhile, this is a great start if you're wondering, why is home automation so darn complicated? Why are there so many competing different systems using proprietary approaches where you can't have interoperability between everything? This is a good way to kind of get a, a, a ground understanding for that. The second article I want to recommend is by Gregory Barber of Wired, and it's titled, the cloud is a prison. Can the local first software movement set us free? So this piece talks about how developers and consumers and corporations are grappling with issues related to cloud platforms and a movement that could potentially bring about an alternative to cloud computing. And spoiler alert, it relies on technology that has actually been around for quite some time. But really interesting because, you know, seeing this this sort of seesaw movement between centralized computing, decentralized computing, local computing versus cloud computing. It's, it's kind of, you can start to see patterns in the way people are using computers and what they do when they encounter challenges in one model versus another. So I highly recommend both those articles. As always, I have no connection to either of those publications or the authors behind those pieces. I do not know them. I just thought they were interesting and that if you are into tech and you really want to learn more, those are two good articles to read. Okay, that's it. This was a long episode for a news episode. Probably means Thursdays will be short. Here's hoping. I hope all of you are well, and I'll talk to you again really soon. Tech Stuff is an iHeartRadio production. For more podcasts from iHeartRadio, 
visit the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you listen to your favorite shows. I'm Katia Adler, host of The Global Story. Over the last 25 years, I've covered conflicts in the Middle East, political and economic crises in Europe, drug cartels in Mexico. Now I'm covering the stories behind the news all over the world in conversation with those who break it. Join me Monday to Friday to find out what's happening, why, and what it all means. Follow the global story from the BBC wherever you listen to podcasts. Are you looking for the perfect move-in ready home this spring season? Now's the time to buy at Fisher Homes. For a limited time only, enjoy below market interest rates starting at 5.375% APR, 6.139% APR. With these exclusive lower rates, you can save hundreds on a move-in ready home and start enjoying the benefits of home ownership even faster. Schedule your personal tour with one of our new home specialists at fisherhomes.com and make this spring the season you find your perfect home sweet home. Financing provided by Victory Mortgage, LLC, NMLS 461249, Equal Housing Lender. Hey guys, you know what this playground could use? A wine country, huh? A redwood forest would be cool. Ski slopes! Wait! Did we just invent California? Discover why California is the ultimate playground at visitcalifornia.com.